In the last episode, we talked about early internet meme culture through the viral explosion of digital art such as Ninecat and Rare Pepes, as well as the dawn of blockchain-based NFTs with the release of CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties in 2017. We learned that a lot has changed within the NFT industry since then, thanks to the rapid development of marketplaces and tools for NFTs. According to DappRadar's February 2021 industry report, the NFT sector had its best month in February. The top three NFT marketplaces, including NFT Topshot, OpenSea, and CryptoPunks, saw over $300 million in combined trading volume. Apart from the high-profile NFT art sales, what interests me most is the development of NFT infrastructure. So today, we're going to explore beyond the headline trading volume and sales figures and talk about the development of the NFT tech stack, focusing on marketplaces and tools and what the new economic models of NFTs mean for creators and the new ownership economy. It's no secret that infrastructure development is key to the growth and speculation of any asset class. NFTs are no exception. So what is the current state of the crypto collectible market? I spoke with Kinjal Shah, investor at Blockchain Capital, about how she looks at the NFT tech stack. At the very base, we have the layer one protocols where we are issuing NFTs. So to date, you know, that that's really been primarily with the ERC 721 standard on Ethereum. But we also have, of course, Flow, which is what Dapper Labs is using, and a number of other blockchains that are kind of experimenting with issuing NFTs. So to me, that's kind of the base. And then from there, we have the, the infrastructure layer. So this is things like exchanges and marketplaces that allow users to buy and sell NFTs, potentially platforms that allow you to discover NFTs, and then tools that kind of help with price discovery, data storage, growth of these markets, etc. So really kind of this middle layer is probably comprised of many different subcategories, but I, I like to think of it as the infrastructure. And then at the very top is where I see two sort of buckets. So first is the NFTs themselves. So this is where we have, you know, CryptoPunks or people auctioning off his piece of work. Those are the NFTs. And then we're going to start seeing, and we already have been seeing NFT financial products. So, you know, this might be an index of NFTs or potentially a platform where you can collateralize your NFT for a loan or whatever that may be. I think we're going to start to see a lot more applications emerge kind of sitting on top of all of this. For the NFT exchanges and marketplaces, Kinjal says she sees two strategies taking place. So the first strategy is really horizontal expansion across the entire value chain of services that a marketplace could offer. You know, any of the, the marketplaces that we're seeing today, whether that's OpenSea, Rarible, you know, super rare and so on and so forth. I think a lot of them are considering how do we make sure that we have the best process for creators to issue an NFT, for users to discover NFTs, for this auction experience of bidding on an NFT to feel seamless, feel social, have you know everything from discovery to issuance figured out. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done on that front that a lot of these exchanges have been doing for the past couple of years. But I think this is their sort of scaling moment where they're being sort of forced to bring a lot of features to market quickly and kind of scale with the users. 
From collectibles to art to gaming and media, NFTs are already spanning a number of niche verticals. The second piece is just going really deep on a vertical. So we have seen that with, you know, Super Rare, for instance, who is really focused on art. Um, or we're starting to see it with other platforms that are really focused on music or collectibles, the way that Dapper is focused right now with NBA Top Shot. And I think really honing in on a particular use case allows them to build the best experience for their users. So really reaching in the art case, reaching collectors, reaching artists, reaching people and users who might, might want to collect that art, even if it's more like a hobby and building that vertical out is going to be an interesting strategy where, you know, they can kind of own that category and then think about what's next for them. You might be familiar with some of the crypto native NFT marketplaces Kinjal mentioned, such as OpenSea and SuperRare. But did you know many traditional online art and gaming marketplaces are also jumping into the game? As I record this on March 19th, Bloomberg just published an article called NFT Frenzy Buoys Stocks Lifting Auction Houses and Game Makers, which talks about some obscure stocks that have rallied on the back of news announcing their involvement in NFTs. These companies include online artwork trading platforms such as Takung Art Company, which rallied nearly 900% since Beeple's Christie's auction earlier this month. Another company, called Oriental Culture Holdings Limited, has since almost tripled. Among a number of other names, perhaps the most shocking surprise is Sino Global Shipping America. Yes, a global logistics and shipping management services company who is looking to launch an NFT exchange platform later this summer. So where exactly are we in this NFT hype cycle? While I can wrap my head around traditional online art marketplaces gaining interest in NFTs, it's hard to understand why a shipping and logistics company would be diversifying into the NFT business. With all these marketplaces popping up, one question on my mind is, what does price discovery for NFTs look like? Of course, appraising NFTs is going to be a really subjective conversation and price discovery is going to be really subjective. But I think over time, there are going to be relative markers that allow people to appraise them better. So this could be, for example, a number of different characteristics, things like who is issuing them, when they were created, who's owned them before. So for example, if a really legendary NFT collector has owned this NFT, perhaps the value of that is significantly more than you know another NFT. Um, the cultural relevance to it, of course, the scarcity of the particular NFT. So I think there's a confluence of different factors that kind of play a role. And what Upshot is doing is they're trying to take these different subjective factors and create a more quantitative way to say, you know, this is going to be a more valuable NFT than this, and then potentially get to some sort of score where we can actually get to a place where there's better price discovery. So I think that's going to be really game changing for the entire market overall. And with Upshot, you can do this if there's 10 people on their platform kind of voting for different NFTs, or you can do it with, of course, thousands or you know hundreds of thousands of folks. What really is interesting is that you really only need a few people to start sourcing that truth and start sourcing you know where the market thinks the value of a particular NFT is going to be. If we take a look at the NFT lifecycle, minting is arguably the most important as it serves as the on-ramp 
in an NFT creator's journey. There are platforms such as NiftyKit, which is a web app for creatives to mint their digital collectible hassle-free without needing to understand crypto. Mintbase is another slick minting tool that allows you to sell NFTs easily by allowing buyers to purchase NFTs with a credit or a debit card. One platform that's made headlines in recent weeks is Eulerbeats, a generative art and music NFT platform created by the Trium team at Consensus. For those who don't know what generative art means, Brian Joycor, writer for the Art in America magazine, describes it as artwork that incorporates computer-automated systems. He says that, quote, Today, artists are bringing ideas and methods from a long tradition of creative coding to the field of NFTs. Art made with code is being traded on exchanges made with code. I had a chance to sit down with an Eulerbeats founding team member, Konstantin Kostenko, who explained how Eulerbeats is the first of its kind to package math, art, music, royalties, and scarcity into an NFT project. Our Eulerbeats Genesis project has 27 original non-fungible tokens. And then each of those original non-fungible tokens can have up to 120 fungible tokens associated with it. So this gives this power of having both non-fungible tokens uh, representing the original with a single owner, as well as having 120 fungible tokens representing that. A lot of ideas went into creating and paying respect to the mathematician and the, the function and the Euler number, and then create the algorithm that generates the visual aspect as well as the audio aspect while taking something from the user. So specifically in Euler Beats, we're taking the address of the wallet that does the generation, as well as the hash of the block that's being created and using that as an input, along with a few other random variables and the algorithm to generate the actual artwork and the music itself. Who needs Beats by Dre when you have Beats by Euler? Ask how he thinks Euler Beats innovation will change the economic model for creators in the music industry, Constantine says. I think this will accelerate this intermediation of the current structures that are tightly entrenched in the music industry. It's not something that's going to happen in a year or two or three. But uh, to quote Joe Lubin, the founder of Consensus, I think what this will do is it will right fit and right size and in essence find the true market price for the services the intermediaries provide. From now on, everybody in the music industry who has a role in the process will be challenged by the market forces. And those intermediaries that provide value will absolutely continue to provide value. But the intermediaries that are simply rent seekers, simply because they've been in the ecosystem for years and are not really providing any value to the artists or to the producers or to the consumers, they will be challenged and their existence will be questioned. Or the pricing for their services will be questioned with this process. I think that we will absolutely see that and the time has come for that change. Scott Belsky is an entrepreneur and currently serves as Adobe's chief product officer. In his recent article titled The Furry Lisa, Crypto Art, and the New Economy of Digital Creativity, he writes that 
this NFT world is likely the greatest unlock of artist opportunity in 100 years. This isn't a suboptimal or fringe version of the real world art economy. It is a vastly improved one. What's really interesting, Belsky says, is the transformative economic model that creatives experience with NFTs. He cites a recent piece by Packy McCormick, who writes the Not Boring newsletter, which talks about the value chain of the open metaverse, through which more value is accrued to the creator from cutting out the middlemen, which Belsky calls the central owners of community-powered utilities, such as marketplaces and app stores, who have historically mediated the exchange of assets between the creator and the consumer. But this is not to be confused with the deplatformization of the traditional marketplace. In fact, NFTs need platforms and marketplaces to facilitate secondary market trading of NFTs. By cutting out the middlemen, Belsky and McCormick refer to the redirecting of fees to creators that have historically accrued to third-party platforms. So the first is this idea of the creator economy that has really become popularized in the last year as a term, but really has been happening for the past, you know, five, 10 years where creators are effectively becoming their own businesses where they are productizing their brand. They're able to leverage their brand and audience to launch new products, services, and it's really a full-time job. So personally, you know, I've been following influencers on Instagram or YouTube for years now, and it sort of didn't dawn on me until recently how difficult it is to monetize those audiences today where the platforms are really capturing most of the value. And the way that they're, they've been capturing the value to date is really through this advertising model, but creators are putting 50, 60, 70 hours a week and only the most followed and most sort of successful creators are really generating an income that they can live off of. Otherwise, this really just becomes kind of a side hustle. So I think it wasn't until recently that this became a reality where you can start monetizing smaller groups, niche communities where everyone's really engaged and really is a true fan and wants to participate in your success and be part of this group. Um, I, I think that really just started recently with the advent of platforms like Substack or Patreon even, which allows you to support any individual creator. And then the second piece, which I love, is this financialization of culture. There's been conversations about how over time we've effectively turned every thing that you could invest in, um, we've made it investable. So there's platforms like Otis that allow you to purchase a fraction of, a, of an art piece, or there's other marketplaces that allow you to purchase sneakers. There's other marketplaces that allow you to buy really vintage cars. You know, honestly, anything that has cultural relevance and value is now able to be purchased via an online platform. And so we're starting to see this emergence of basically being able to purchase, invest in anything that has cultural value and different types of asset classes than, than our typical you know, investor selections. And now what we're starting to see is, well, what about investing in the internet and investing in people who are building really interesting communities online and you know, being able to participate in the economics of what it means to have, you know, one of the most successful newsletters online or one of the most successful YouTube channels or a class or whatever it may be. And so I think that is going to be this next evolution where monetization really becomes 
the way to bring in engaged users. Users become investors. When they're investors, they're advocates for those creators. And it creates this like healthier, stickier network effect and hopefully allows both sides to economically benefit in the process. In the next episode in this mini-series, I'll be chatting with other thought leaders in the space to further explore the NFT tech stack and hear interesting perspectives on topics such as the financialization of NFTs, the intersection between NFT and DeFi, and of course, the exploding niche of social tokens. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next week on Crypto Unstacked for another little nifty story. Have a great week, everyone.